Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll begin there. We are indeed closing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This series called The New Way to Be Human today. Um, 17 weeks, as I said, the Enu Hope. No, by no means is this the longest uh, uh, series that, that we've had at New Hope. Uh, can anybody guess which one was the longest? Uh, but I think your Romans went like almost four years. So that, that was a haul. Uh, Ezekiel went like a year and a half or something like that. A- 18 months. There you go. It felt like 18 years. All right. You're really selling it to the visitors this morning, James. Thank you. So, um, yeah, 17 weeks here uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, man, I just I think that the, the revolutionary words of Jesus... Um, as he kind of gives this inaugural address or his stump speech. Um, this, these are words that if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these are words that just need to be a part of you. I, I, I would encourage, I would challenge anyone in this room, young or old, um, it is not beyond the, the, the realm of comprehension that one could um, memorize the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that if you took that challenge up, uh, I think that you would be um, a better person for it. I mean, if when I was in middle school, I don't think I could have found a um, a friend of mine, including myself, uh, that didn't know every word to the movie Dumb and Dumber. Um, so, if we could do that, I think we could we could memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I just think that would be something that would be um, uh, certainly something that would be worth your time. Here, are just the the beginning words. Of, uh, of Jesus' sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you poor in spirit? Not just poor and like financially poor, but um, do you feel that you've been pushed to the side? Do you feel that you not have a voice? Do you feel that, um, as we used in the, in the prayers of the people, words like vulnerable or oppressed? Um, blessed are the poor in the spirit, though, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I won't keep going, but I thought about it. I thought about just reading the Sermon on the Mount that, that came from the lips of Jesus himself. As far as we can tell, Jesus' teaching was, it was kind of directed at his disciples, right? But he positioned himself physically in such a way as to allow the masses to kind of listen in. And what do the masses hear? They hear that if they're poor in spirit, if they feel like they're the bottom rung of society, they are actually about to inherit a great kingdom. They hear that if they're mourning, like some of us are are, are mourning today, they'll be comforted. They'll hear that if if they're meek, like they feel like they're voiceless, or if they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, righteousness greater than what we're seeing from current society, they'll be satisfied. And then the masses hear that better path is available to them, this way this new way of living, this way of mercy and purity, 
that will lead to God himself. And then Jesus just lays it out for him, right? He lays out this new way to be human. And he invites them into a freedom that they had never experienced before. Freedom to truly love others. Freedom to truly love others, even their enemies. And freedom to truly love God, even though we, because of sin, are God's enemies. This new path isn't just a way of life, it is the way of life. And the truth is that it is a hard life, not because Jesus demands so much of us. All He demands is that we follow and obey and trust Him. No, the, the way is hard that leads to life because we use sin as our own security blanket rather than seeing it for the poison that it really is. We make the way hard because we like to bring along so much of our baggage. Instead, Jesus stands ready to receive these heavy burdens that we brought uh, with us today, and he stands to take them on himself if we would only receive his gift of free love. For as we experience uh, the love of God in new and profound ways, we're then energized in greater ways to reflect that love back out into a broken world. It's essential that we emphasize this truth that what Jesus offers is the way of life, is the life of the way and the way of life. And this harkens back to, to Israel's wanderings, right? And their moments just before entering the promised land. If you'd like, uh, grab a Bible and, and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Life and death. That's what was at stake for God's people in Moses' day. And it's the same for Jesus' day and, of course, for our day. Instead of a physical kingdom run by leaders who are definitely not God, our promised land is that of the kingdom, 
being made manifest on earth as it is in heaven. God's heavenly kingdom. As Jesus taught us that we might pray that God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You want to know where the promised land is for you and I. You're there now. You have the possibility of taking it with you wherever you go because you have the certainty of Christ being with you wherever you go. The new way to be human is the choice before you right now. As you fight to consider whether, I'm, whether what I'm saying makes sense or not, it's the choice that'll be with you tomorrow at school or at your place of business. It's the choice that'll be before you when you decide to make choices that will either lean into your own discipleship or ignore the desire of God to make you more like Christ. The way of life is the way of peace and honesty and grace and mercy. It's the way that says a firm no to things like retaliation and vengeance and an even firmer yes to things like forgiveness and sacrificial living. Which is why it's kind of odd that Jesus would use the words that he does to close out the sermon. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to be flipping around the Bible a lot today. If you don't have a Bible in front of you and you would like one, feel free to throw up your arm and one of our ushers will give it to you, give one to you. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hence the bulletin. Anyway. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the, thaw, was the fall of it. Now, I, I actually uh, I didn't come to Christ until middle school, so I actually didn't grow up with a whole lot of uh, uh, child uh, uh, Sunday school songs. So actually, that was a first for me, hearing that. But, you know, great, wonderful. If you're anything like me, um, actually, the first thing you might have thought of, well, well, this is kind of like Jesus' version of the three little pigs. In that story, you know, three pigs each make a house, knowing that the big bad wolf is nearby who would just love to attack and devour them. The first pig makes his house out of straw, and then the wolf comes and blows the house in, and then the second pig makes his house out of sticks, and the wolf comes and blows his house in. And then those first two pigs make a run for it to the third pig's house, who had made his house out of bricks. All three pigs hold up in the third pig's brick house and wait out the wolf, and then all is well. I'm sure there are darker versions of that tale, but, but we watch a lot of Sesame Street at our house, so that's kind of my point of reference. The moral of the story is that you should be prepared and take steps to look out for your own safety. In short, you should make good choices that lay a strong foundation for when things don't go your way, like when the big bad wolf shows up. Good choices are wise choices, 
in the story of the three little pigs. And at first glance, we might want to kind of apply the same moral in Jesus' story. Jesus says that those who hear this teaching about love, grace, mercy, peace, honesty, etc., etc., and put that into practice is like a wise man who doesn't just build a house out of brick. He, he builds it on the foundation of the rock. And when the weather got bad and things didn't go his way, he was vindicated for building his house on the rock because his preparations paid off and he remained safe and sound. So far, you can see the similarity to the three little pigs. What's different is the role that wisdom plays in the tales. With the pigs, their house choices were examples of how their wise or foolish choices played out. In Jesus's tale, uh, the house choices were a metaphor for the wise implementation of Jesus's teaching. The thing is, the wisdom that Jesus advocates might not strike you as a way to remain safe and sound. Jesus told us to resist, resist the temptation to objectify others. Specifically, he told uh, a crowd that was full of men to stop objectifying women through things like lust or divorce. But if you're going to try to implement that, it might not always be the wise choice if you're trying to look good in front of your friends. Jesus told us that if someone slaps you, we should turn our cheek and get slapped again. Or if someone asks you to go a mile with them, you should go too. Neither are exactly a wise choice for someone who doesn't like pain. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. According to Jesus' wisdom, those three little pigs should have loved the big bad wolf, prayed for him, and invited him in for tea. Jesus told us to give to the needy without letting anyone know that we're doing it. How are you supposed to look generous in front of other people if he... You can't let anybody see you do it. He told us to pray in secret. Well, how are you supposed to look pious if you can't show anybody how religious you are? We could go on. It just seems that Jesus had some good advice, like the whole golden rule thing, but perhaps his wisdom, it seemed like, Jesus, your wisdom is a bit upside down. Precisely, Jesus says. Remember, narrow is the gate and the way is hard that leads to life. There are going to be times when it seems like the wisest thing for you to do is to just keep your head down and not get involved. But the Jesus way is going to lead you to speak out for injustice, even if it doesn't turn out all that well for you. And on the other hand, there are going to be times when it seems like the wise thing for you to do is just jump into an argument because you want to win that thing, right? But the way of Jesus might lead you to keep your silence and do a whole lot more listening than talking. As we've talked about before in this series, true godly wisdom isn't always going to depend on what's best for you. It's going to consider what's best for the kingdom, which incidentally will benefit you down the road far more than you could ever possibly imagine. It just might not look, make today look all that safe and sound. Biblical wisdom kind of varies on a variety of levels, you see. At its most foundational level, there is kind of like an elementary wisdom that we find, and we find it in places like the book of Proverbs. An example is, is Proverbs uh, 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, uh, from his mouth, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Basically, God is the source of true wisdom. He'll have more to say to you as you grow closer to him, and he'll protect those who stand with integrity. Good, solid wisdom for anyone, not just young people, to hear. But the Bible doesn't, does often lead to what we might think of as higher levels of wisdom. Uh, take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes, for instance. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The Old Testament after Proverbs, after the book of Proverbs. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be weighed straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh-oh. See, now the rules don't always make sense, right? Not even to one such as Solomon. There, there are fewer right angles. Things are less black and white than they were in Proverbs. And, and the wisdom, it matures from elementary towards the reality of, of seasons. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes you know, continues with, with these words that we know so well. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. I got the bird song playing in my head. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. If the wisdom of Proverbs was elementary school, this is a bit more like high school. It involves critical thinking and the knowledge that things aren't always going to be black and white. Here, the differentiation between knowledge and wisdom becomes far more apparent, right? You, you've heard the sayings, I'm sure, knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it into a fruit salad. Knowledge is knowing which is a one-way street. 
Wisdom is looking both ways anyway. But wisdom matures further when the Bible gets to a book called Job, which is a very odd story about what seems to be to us like God and Satan playing this game with a man's life, and Job has everything taken away from him. And most of the chapters of the book consist of Job's family and friends talking with him about his misfortune. Job speaks out to God, and finally we hear God's response when he speaks to Job towards the end and asks him, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? See, evidently, this is like PhD-level wisdom. Evidently, there are times when it seems as if nothing is going to make sense and all hope is lost. And in that moment, wisdom seems farthest from comprehension. There are those times when we just shout, Why, God? Why? Please tell me how this trial could possibly have worked out for good. When you get the call from the doctor that, that, yeah, it's cancer. When the young person gets kicked out of school and we don't know where we're going to go. When that relationship ends and now you're starting all over again. And you're just left with your jaw wide open and you wonder what any of this has to do with God's plan. It's at that moment when wisdom It kind of comes full circle and takes us back to that foundational truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, knowledge and wisdom. That He was the one who laid the foundation of the earth. And as much of this seems out of your control, we rest on the rock of the truth that none of this is beyond His control. None of this is beyond His control, and yet... The wisdom of the New Testament, well, that takes a whole new turn. Because here's the thing, Jesus didn't just stay on that hill yapping at people. He didn't just stay on that hill telling them what they needed to do. He went and did it. He stepped down, and then he continued this revolutionary movement. Uh, Turn back to Matthew 7, and we'll see how Matthew closes this section of the Sermon on the Mount. When he had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Not as the scribes. Jesus. Jesus was the one with authority. Not just authority over the law. Authority over life itself. He was the one who offered the authoritative interpretation of the law. And therefore, he is the one who offers an authoritative interpretation on your life. In short, he didn't just offer wisdom, he defined wisdom. So when he tells a story about wise choices and building houses on a rock and foolish choices that lead to death, he's not just talking about our actions or our inaction, he is referencing himself. 
He is the rock that we are to build our life on. He is the gate through which we are to enter the kingdom. In Christ, God desires to put this whole world back together again and restore what was lost in the fall. And in Christ, God's wisdom, it's, it's held in a bit of tension, right? Because there is absolutely a sense in which following Jesus will help you live a better life and will make you better at living life. When we embrace the principles such as humility and integrity and love, we not only experience that life worth pursuing ourselves, we also show the world that living the way of Jesus is the only way to fly. On the other hand, though, it's also true that God's wisdom will not always make sense to our eyes because the simple truth is we are not God. One more turn in your scripture to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us we are being saved It is the power of God. For it is is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What is the one who is wise? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. But for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Read that again. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. What's wisdom? Wisdom is following and being in Christ. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one boasts, boast in the Lord. Let let the one who's looking for a rock find their rock in the Lord. I think this passage, it does remind us of that brilliant truth taught to us by by C.S. Lewis, that Aslan, that Jesus is a good lion, but he is not safe. Jesus desires us to build our house on the rock and then use that foundation to launch 
a growing kingdom movement. One that goes to the ends of the earth, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. To do that well, it will take intentionality. It's going to take sacrifice, but it is going to be living life on God's terms, not ours. The thing is, though, when we do that, we discover there was no other way. There was no other's like secondary way that I could have gone down that path and God kind of would have been okay with it. No, Jesus is saying, you want life? Come this way. And don't go that way because that way leads only to death. We're going to take communion, the Mass, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And I would just encourage you as you we, 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 we uh, set this table, as we... Uh, prepare our hearts for that, to do that inventory, to do that inventory with God, defining the relationship that you have with Jesus. Um, Our table, it's open to all that call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, If you are not there today and you're with us, you need to know that we love you. You need to know that we are so glad you're here, and we hope that new hope, that our community would be a place that you can wrestle with doubts, and you can come with asking good questions, um, that you can come with transparency and and being honest in this community. That's what being a, a family is all about. But I will say this, if you do find yourself coming forward for communion, and um, as, a, as a follower of Christ, I need to remind you that communion is one of two sacraments that Jesus instituted, the other being baptism. Um, so if you, if you come forward for communion and, and you've not yet uh, been baptized, which is basically a, a, a public declaration of your faith, while communion kind of sustains your faith, baptism proclaims it. If you find yourself coming forward, I just would ask that maybe we at least have a conversation uh, sometime soon about what it would look like for you to, to publicly proclaim your faith through baptism. Um, the red is, uh, uh, is wine, uh, the, 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 the white is grape juice, uh, and there's gluten-free crackers, crackers there, uh, as well as uh, unleavened bread, lovingly made by our own Alicia Poland. So um, before we take the communion, would you please stand and read as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. 